Good evening, Darklings, and welcome to Once Upon a Terror. I'm your host, Adelina Hill, and I have three chilling tales for you tonight. They are, they don't really match into any certain rhyme or reason or theme, and please excuse my raspy voice, I'm recovering from tonsillitis. Again, I tend to be recovering from that a lot. Not very good for a podcast host, not good at all, but... I digress, and we're just gonna, we're just gonna roll with it. Alright, so let's start the show. Once upon a time. story for tonight is called I Keep Pulling Out My Teeth But They Keep Growing Back by Dazero. Dazero is a writer on the Reddit No Sleep page. If you want to check out more of their work, I have a link in the show notes. And if you have nightmares about your teeth falling out, well, uh, this will probably just add fuel to that fire. Warning, if you are squeamish to sound effects such as squishy, popping noises, then I would go ahead and skip the story because I'm getting pretty well at editing um, sound effects, so I'm going to be pretty proud of this episode. So if you do like stuff like that, then go right on and listen. Don't neglect your dental hygiene, kids. I wish I'd taken that advice when I was young. Growing up, I lived on soda and snacks. I guess a lot of kids did, but I'd go through a 12-pack of Coke in a single day sometimes. My parents tried their best to sway me in the right direction, but you know how kids can be with their sweets. So naturally, I ended up with cavities. Awesome. So I went to the dentist, as one does in such a situation. They did some drilling and filling and the whole nine yards and sent me on my way. Problem solved. For now. Well, years later, I got new insurance and hit up a new dentist as a result. He discovered that at least two of the fillings he, his predecessor billed me were for bogus. There was no evidence of decay there at all. They were just taking advantage of a kid with a sweet tooth to bilk up some extra money out of the family. This led me to, as you can imagine, a deep mistrust of the dental profession outside of this doctor. So once the kindly old man who ran the office retired, I just stopped going to the dentist altogether. I did not, however, stop drinking excessive amounts of soda. Eventually, that caught up with me. It was time to face up to the years, actually damn near a decade of neglect. I found a new local dentist who had good reviews. I had to have several extractions, a handful of root canals, numerous fillings. It was painful and expensive, and I hated my younger self with a burning passion. But hey, my suffering was over. 
It just takes some good time for the gums to heal over, and I'd be all good. There was one sore spot in particular, where one of my teeth had been so badly infected and subsequently plucked out of its socket. But the dentist assured me that it was normal and it would itch and ache for a bit, then go back to normal as the socket healed over. But the itching just kept getting more intense. It was unbearable. I couldn't exactly scratch it. I applied layer after layer of aura gel to numb the gum, but nothing worked. I was going mad. I had begun drinking heavily just to dull the agony, which was something I swore I'd never do after what happened to my uncle, but I didn't know where else to turn to but the bottle. And then one morning, I awoke from yet another drunken stupor to the unmistakable taste of copper blood pouring from my mouth. The, the itching socket had burst open. I ran my thumb along my gum line, and sure enough, wait, what the hell? I felt a tooth crowning out of the stitches. What? I'm 34. I lost my baby teeth decades ago. But between the pain and the vodka, I couldn't really process what was happening. I just haphazardly wiped up the blood, downed a few more Tylenol, and went back to bed. So, <laughs> here's the fun part. I was traveling for work that day, so I was nowhere near the only dentist I trusted. But this was bad. I needed to be seen immediately. I googled around a bit, found one that didn't look too terrible in the Tuscan area, and popped by for an emergency visit. I waited a bit, clutching my jaw in pain, and was eventually taken back for an x-ray. They found that, and possibly, my decaying, cracked molar was patiently awaiting extraction. I, I just had that removed last week, I uttered in confusion. Smelling the alcohol on my breath, the x-ray tech shook his head. I don't know what to tell you, Mr. Harvey. I can see you've had extensive work done, so you're probably just confused. But you can clearly see the tooth right here on this printout. That's impossible. And yet, there it is. You're going to want that bad boy out before the infection gets worse. I have an opening this afternoon. Piss off! He was scamming me, just like the first dentist. I was sure of it. I'd pop some more pills for the duration of my trip and wait until I got home to see my usual dentist. He stopped me with a firm yet gentle hand on my shoulder. He calmly explained that if I didn't get the tooth removed, the infection could spread and cause a litany of other health issues up to and including death. He procured a few mirrors to show me the physical tooth and demonstrate that there was no trickery in the x-ray. Fine. Insurance wouldn't cover it, but it hurt like hell and I didn't want to risk it spreading. Maybe I really was mixing up with a different tooth that it had removed. Dr. W. had removed five teeth total and had been drinking a lot. I guess it's not out of the question. Except a few days after my recovery, I felt the same itching sensation again. And this time, I felt it in one of the other empty sockets as well. And this time, they were pulsing. I clenched my teeth reflexively, which was a mistake. I felt my upper tooth dig into the lower one as my jaw tightened. It squished in and then made an audible pop. I gagged as my mouth was flooded with an earthy-tasting goop. I spat it out in surprise, costing my keyboard in thick, greenish sap. What the hell? And are those seats suspended in the liquid? I grasped my jaw in pain and confusion. I could feel the root of my tooth writhing and squirming in my gums. The now familiar taste of blood mingled with the sap, forming an absolutely disgusting, frothing solution in flavor, texture, and appearance.
Beneath it all, I felt the next tooth emerging from its post-surgical socket. I rinsed my mouth with mouthwash as best I could and gently prodded it with a Q-tip. Surely enough, this one was hard to the touch, but I felt something give underneath the enamel coating. At this point, panic had set up and completely sobered me up. I felt the sap-filled pustules growing underneath, enamel shelled through my mouth. I screamed. I vomited. I passed out. I don't really know what happened next. I woke up in a hospital-style bed at an unfamiliar dentist's office. I hastily looked around but didn't see anyone. I flicked my tongue around my mouth. Maybe it was all a dream? To my horror, I found a nearly completely empty gum line across my entire lower jaw, and a handful more were missing from the roof as well. Ah, good morning. You were in pretty a bad accident, I'd wager. Not sure what happened, but when your roommate brought you in, there wasn't much to work with. We saved what we could, but, well, I'm here to take a cast for partial dentures, said the stern dentist, presumably responsible for my tearing out all of those God-knows-what from my mouth. I couldn't say much in response between the pain, the analgesic, and the swabs of cotton in my mouth. I just moaned a little. I had so many questions but couldn't utter a word. He took the cast, applying excruciatingly painful pressure to the afflicted sockets with his mold. I'm so sorry, he added as he left, almost an afterthought. He noted that they'd call in a few weeks once the casting was completed and to avoid chewing in the meantime. Sure, I'd definitely be chewing with a half a dozen teeth I had left if he hadn't said that. I went home and drank myself to sleep yet again. I'd given up hope. Honestly, I was about ready to take my own life. Then I woke up with a full mouth of teeth again. I'm afraid to chew on them. I can feel the roots squirming and growing beneath the hard shell. I don't know where these things came from or why. I don't know if they're dangerous. Hell, I don't even know if it's worse to pop them open or let them fester. But the roots that I feel burrowing deeper and deeper into my skull in the meantime, and one question dominates my mind now. What happens if they reach my brain? Oh, I love stories that involve teeth. Oh my goodness, I have so many dreams that are like... Te my teeth are falling out or I'm pulling someone else's teeth. It's just, it's so grimy and gross and I love it. I love it so much. So I hope you enjoyed that story. It was short, but I enjoyed it and I like short, creepy stories like that that involve teeth, so. Our next tale is nothing at all like the first tale. So like I said, this is a pretty random episode. These are just four stories that I, that really caught my attention and that I love. This next tale is by Reddit user Flying Bearfish, and it is called The Trailer Wasn't As Empty As We Thought. I'm not a huge fan of my current job. A little over a year into the pandemic, I found myself laid off like many others. I didn't love my job at the time, but it paid relatively well and that pay had allowed me to move out on my own. My degree and experience are all in IT, and while I never had trouble finding work before, finding a comparable position to my last one has proven much harder than I initially hoped. After six months of fruitless job hunting and watching my savings account dwindle away, I decided to take a job at the local grocery store just to have enough income to keep myself afloat. And when I say the local grocery store, I really mean it.
It's the only one in town, and it's the largest building in the area by a fair margin. Retail work isn't new to me. I worked in a grocery store all throughout college. That said, I certainly wasn't looking forward to returning to it. I don't like dealing with rude customers all day, and retail middle managers aren't much better in my experience. Luckily, I was hired on for overnight help in the produce department, which meant I normally don't have to deal with customers, and I really only see my boss a couple times a week. To be honest, I barely manage to pay all my bills, and I don't have anything left to put into savings. But I'm making it work. It's far from ideal, but I guess things could be worse. Well, at least it's what I thought up until a few weeks ago. It was a Wednesday night, and I remember it being unusually cold. My shift starts at 9.30pm after the store closes, and I get off at 6am just before we open. I was expecting a pretty uneventful night since we don't get a fresh food delivery on Wednesdays. I clocked in, put in my earbuds, picked out a podcast, and went to work restocking the sales floor. Some people think that being in a dimly lit grocery store after hours is creepy, like one of those liminal spaces, but honestly, I just find it relaxing. There are only a handful of other people working in the store and none of them in my area, so I pretty much get to do my own thing 99% of the time. A couple hours into my shift, just as I was about to take my 15-minute break, a call came through the walkie-talkie clip to my belt. Hey, produce apartment, food truck just got here. Food truck? That was odd. There shouldn't be one tonight. I glanced over the printed order on the nearby counter to confirm that nothing was scheduled to be delivered. After a few moments, Jim, the warehouse attendant, called me on the radio again. I decided to head over and see for myself. As I came into the back room, I could hear Jim arguing with another unknown voice back near the truck doors. I rounded the corner and saw him sitting at his desk frowning at a clipboard while his delivery truck driver stood next to him, shaking his head. Jim was a stout, middle-aged man with dark gray hair and a neat, constant look of jaded apathy on his face. Tonight, that familiar expression seemed to be tinged with a bit of annoyed frustration as well. It didn't take long to realize that he was just as confused as I was to why we were getting a delivery. I'm sorry, ma'am, but I don't think this is our truck. Jim looked up at the trucker sympathetically and rubbed the bridge of his nose. I don't have any record of it for a delivery tonight, and this shipping manifest doesn't match up with our location. It's gotta be you guys, the elderly truck protested. I've been making deliveries for over 30 years, and I know what. The trucker trailed off into a long-winded argument based more on his supposed experience than actual proof of our reasoning as to why the shipment was ours. While that was playing out, I went over to the rear of the trailer, which was already backed up to our dock. I immediately noticed something strange. Our usual delivery trailers were covered in peeling decals advertising our stores alongside all the required safety verbiage. This trailer looked pristine, like it had just rolled off the assembly line. You could almost see yourself in the shiny white painted metal. Beyond that, the outside was almost entirely free of any decals, signs, or lettering. The only feature at all was in the middle of the roll-up door just above eye level. The word CAUTION displayed in large black letters. I heard the argument start to wind down behind me. It sounded like we were going to have to unload the produce anyways and store it in our coolers, at least until they could take and it to our supplier in the morning. Hearing this, I went ahead and reached for the handle to open it up. 
After lifting it just a few inches, suddenly the door flew open with incredible force as if a huge motor had just kicked into gear. The shrill squeal of the metal deafened me, and I actually felt myself get lifted a few inches off the ground before I let go and fell abruptly on my stomach. A harsh blast of refrigerated air hit me as I pushed it away out of the trailer and onto the loading dock. I heard Jim and the trucker abruptly stop bickering and begin to rush towards me. I sheltered my bare face from the icy wind as they both helped me to my feet. As I dusted the front of my apron off and repeatedly assured them that I was okay, I naturally turned my attention back towards the open trailer. All three of us standing on the dock seemed to stop and stare almost in unison as the puzzling sight now revealed to us. It was empty. Not a single box, crate, or pallet. Nothing but cold, dark metal and wisps of chilled fog wafting along the barren floor. What the hell? The trucker softly mused. Jim glanced back down at his clipboard and started flipping the top page back and forth in his fingers, clearly looking for an answer that none of us had. As I stared into the dark void of the trailer, I felt oddly uncomfortable. Like something was just wrong. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up and I started to feel faint. My fight-or-flight instincts kicked in. I moved briskly back to the trailer door, grabbing the loop strap handle hanging down and pulled the door closed in one decisive motion. As soon as I heard the metal slats hit the deck, I flipped the latch and made sure that it was secure with a firm stomp of my boot. Jim and the trucker went back to arguing, though this time they seemed more intent on figuring out how an empty, unmarked, and unscheduled truck had made it all the way out to us. I stayed for a bit to listen, but decided to excuse myself after a few minutes when it was clear that nothing was going to be gained from the discussion. I still felt odd, and all I wanted to get back to was work. I went back to the produce section and started filling the apple table. As I piled bags of Honeycrisp and Fiji apples on the table, I kept reflexively looking around every few minutes at the empty department. I know, it sounds cliche, but it felt like I was being watched, like every move I made was being silently judged and evaluated. I tried to shake it off and just focus on my podcast, but it was hopeless. After emptying everything off my work cart, the table was about three-fourths of the way full. I remember I still hadn't taken my break, so I decided to go sit down for a bit and clear my thoughts. My 15-minute break lasted closer to 30, another perk of working mostly by myself. As I walked back from the break room, the uneasy feeling returned. I silently cursed at myself for getting so worked up over something so little. Sure, the trailer incident was odd, but there was nothing overly sinister about a warehouse logistical error. I had almost talked myself back into an uneasy sense of calmness when I reached the apple table, and my stomach dropped once more. It was completely full. Almost overflowing. The spots I hadn't touched yet had been filled out, and the spots I had already hit were stacked even higher. I stared dumbfounded at the table for at least a few minutes. I tried to convince myself that there wasn't anything off, that I had actually finished filling the table before my break and just forgotten. It was enough to lower my heart rate just a bit, but I don't think I even really believed it. The next few shifts were filled with similar occurrences. Tables being filled with what I was sure still had more to do. Going to empty the trash at the end of my shift, only to find the bin was already empty. Grabbing a mop and cleaning up a spill, only to find the area spotless once again by the time I returned. Every time I had a new excuse to tell myself... I was just being forgetful. I wasn't getting enough sleep. Someone else must have come over to help out. After almost a week of these strange happenings, I stopped making excuses. I stopped trying to explain it. 
I found myself in a weird mental space that might call acceptance. I started consciously working less each shift, and the work still got done. My boss even commented me on the work department on how good it had been looking when he got into home in the morning. One night, I didn't even leave the break room. I just sat there watching reruns of the Andy Griffith show on the ancient flickering TV until my shift was almost over. I walked out of the department just before I left, and sure enough, everything was done. The tables were full, the floors were clean, and even the work log was filled out. As I'm writing this, I haven't actually been to work in over a week. I've just been laying around my house. Suddenly, I find it hard to do anything beyond the bare minimum to keep myself functioning. An intense blanket of lethargy weighs on me every moment I'm awake. Even while I'm eating or walking to the bathroom, I feel like I could fall back asleep at any moment. And through all of this, no one at work has called me. I check my hours online, and I'm clocking in and out on time every day. Or someone is, at least. The only communications I've gotten in days were from one of my friends that lives in town. He texted me a few hours ago, asking if everything was okay. He had gone to get some groceries earlier this morning and had seen me as I was walking out. He waved and called out to me, but got no response. Apparently, I just stared at him blankly, then went back to walking. He saw me, the other me, and now he's here, or I'm here, I guess. I can see myself through the bedroom window, standing in my front yard, looking back at me. I feel much weaker now that I did this morning, even weaker than I felt just a few minutes ago when I started writing this. It takes all of my energy and focus just to keep typing. I don't know what he wants, but every time I look away from my computer screen, he seems to be just a bit closer. Sometimes when I close my eyes, I feel like I'm the one in the yard, and I see myself at the desk, hunched over and shivering. It feels like my own thoughts are slipping away from me. I don't know why, but I think the next time I close my eyes, I won't open them again. Update. I feel better now. No need to worry. I need to get some rest before work. I am fascinated with doppelganger stories. I think they're creepy and chilling and just in general, like, really, really, really interesting because I think it's cool to find somebody that looks just like you but isn't you. It's just, it's, it's just dumbfounding to me. So I loved that story. Thank you. Our next story is more on the canine side. It is called, My Dog is No Longer a Dog, by Awa underscore Mahikan. I'm sorry if I butchered your name. And that was my stomach growling. I apologize for that. So let's just get on to the next story. I'm hungry as I'm recording this. My name is Alexandra. I am a 16-year-old girl. I still live with my parents. I love both of my parents dearly, but someone in my family was always there for me when others weren't. Someone who was the apple of my eye, a family type of bond that I cannot explain how strong the bond was. A soulmate. His name was Kodiak. He is a big, fluffy, lovable Newfoundland dog. His fur is a beautiful brown, just like the Kodiak bear. I basically grew up with Kodiak my entire life, including my childhood. He was like a brother to me, except my bond between him and me is stronger than my actual brother. I believe our souls were related and meant to be. I cried my eyes out when the veterinarians told me he wouldn't live any longer than two years. He had a cardiac tumor growing on his heart. I had booked an appointment with a different veterinarian who had told me he would heal my dog. At first, I thought this was too good to be true. He told me an herb that can apparently heal 
the tumor and reverse it. I trusted him. I trusted the veterinarian. I don't know what kind of idiot I am. I am depressed. I break down every time I think about my dog. I betrayed my own soulmate by a stupid, foolish trickster. I'm sorry, Kodiak. I love you. I would never let anyone hurt you. I'm scared. But you aren't here for me anymore, Kodiak. Where are you? I don't know if I can move on without you. I want to be with you forever. Just me and you. Nobody else here. That sure sounds great. I love you, Kodiak. I can never forgive what I have done to you. Kodiak was taken from the veterinarian. I never got him back. What the veterinarian told me was clever lies disguised as a gift. I contacted the veterinarian. His name is Alfred. I took my dog to this veterinarian. The animal hospital is unique. The capacity only allowed two dogs max, and the treatment was extra special and all professional. Alfred took classes for 10 years, mainly studying the dog anatomy and the ways the dog bodies work. His vet offices were mainly for dogs. I heard many great reviews from there. People told me their dogs were never so healthy before. One of the dog owners had even claimed he cured cancer. I was convinced it made a mistake because all humans do. I let him keep him temporarily, according to him. Alfred took my dog because I thought he would fix him. It's been three months without my dog and no information from Alfred. I was worried, but I thought, maybe this treatment takes a while, I told myself. Every day that there was nothing to worry about, at least Alfred wouldn't hurt my dog, I thought at least. The thing I found strange about Alfred was his obsession with my dog. He would always draw pictures of my dog's anatomy. He even talked about how he knew to how to skin wolves. He joked about skinning my dog and wearing his skin. Who would have thought that it wasn't a joke? Tell me, who? Am I just an idiot? The weirdest thing he told me about this science behind nodding in dogs, I never wanted to know. He even had a real dog skeleton with a dog's skin on top of the skeleton acting as a cloak. The veterinarian told me to wait because he needed to go downstairs and nobody is allowed down there except him. I found this odd. Really odd. Maybe there was his space for where other dog files were. Maybe to protect the privacy of the owners. Not to mention, he would also take strays or dogs with rabies and he would claim he would heal them or just send them to dog shelters. Nobody ever heard from the dogs he would take. Nobody even knew where the shelters or where the cured dogs went. They just assumed he gave them away for new homes. My dog came back after four months. He was cured and healthy. I was so happy to see him. My eyes were pouring happy tears. But something was off about my dog. Instead of being the happy, energetic dog he used to be, he would sleep all day. He would avoid humans, and he didn't even like his favorite foods anymore. This wasn't Kodiak at all. I just thought he was depressed from not being at home for so long. Maybe he and Albert weren't getting along that well. But my dog also looked different. His eyes were more human. His fur was not as vibrant as before. It looked like a tanned pelt. His paws were oddly shaped. His snout also had a weird shape. He hated dog food. He refused even his favorite dog food. I gave him a plate of peas and mashed potatoes. He was starving and he never devoured food so fast. So I made a recipe that was safe for dogs to consume. He was no longer refusing food. He had no energy as he used to, but when he went walking around and barking, his barking sounded very off. Kodiak never wagged his tail. The tail was stiff. I got pissed at my dog for the first time. He would refuse my love and he would growl and run away. I wasn't only just enraged, but I was also heartbroken to see my dog this way. I've tried to contact Alfred, but the number was apparently out of service. I've tried to find the location of the office. It was still there. I even got... 
I even went to the office, but Alfred wasn't there. The other veterinarians had claimed they never knew Alfred, nor had they ever heard of him. So I screamed at the veterinarians because I knew something was always off about this Alfred guy and threatened to even burn their place down and call the police on them. I was dead serious. I grabbed my phone and lighter. You should have seen the look on their faces when I stabbed one of them with my pocket knife. I knew that Kodiak wasn't my dog. I was 100% positive. The police were called on me before I could even take a look downstairs. The police were already there. I had told them about my dog. They let me go, but they didn't check the office because they had another duty. I got home. There was Kodiak sitting on the couch staring at me with his unsettling human-like eyes. I went to the couch to sit beside him. He was making weird whimpering noises, a noise that I've never heard a dog make. His crying was getting louder, so I went up to Kodiak and started to pet him. I scratched his belly and I felt something on his belly. I looked under his tummy. I saw a zipper and I was confused. So out of curiosity, I unzipped his zipper. I saw human skin. It looked like a human stomach. I saw that my dog's skin was literally sewed onto the person. I panicked and started to question the human inside of the dog. He was whimpering and struggling to speak. I remember when the human inside of the dog stood up on his hind legs. His paws and feet were oddly shaped. His legs and arms were human. He didn't even pretend to act like a dog anymore. He started to walk on his hind legs. He started to mumble things. I asked him if I could take a look inside of his mouth. I think he agreed because he sat down and opened his mouth. I looked inside. There was a man inside of my dog. My dog's jaw was attached to his, and so when he barked, the mouth would move. My dog had been skinned, and his face had been turned into a taxidermy, so I wouldn't suspect a thing. When I say his eyes were human, his eyes didn't have any dog features. I didn't know how I thought this was normal. I went crazy. The human dog now lived with me. He would play his role as a dog when visitors came, but with just him and me, he walked around like a human, eating, sleeping, drinking, and watching TV as a human. Keep in mind that this was horrifying. I saw that other brown Newfoundland dog had been sewn inside my dog's skin so that a man could fit inside. He was now my new companion. He would listen better. He would even still play fetch and play card games with me. Alfred called me. He told me that this is what he had done. He knew I wanted my dog to live longer, so Alfred said, I thought, why not make him live as long as human? He had told me he skinned and tanned my dog and got a taxidermist to do his face. He drugged a man and sewed the dog onto him. He told me the man wanted to become a dog, so he told the man he would make a realistic suit for him and find him an owner. Basically, he just did what both of us wanted, except not in a way we wanted. So I decided to go along with it and accept the fact that this human dog is now my companion. I fed him, I played cards with him, I treated him like a dog and a human being. He still ate out of a dog bowl. He would sit with me and eat meals at the dinner table, basically because Alfred wasn't his real name and Alfred kept his identity a secret. The police couldn't do anything. If they tried taking the suit off this man, he would die. My dog's skin is becoming infused with his skin. I couldn't do anything and the man had told me it's pretty happy that he is pretty happy with his new life. He had his own dog house outside and he had his own dog bed. Basically, I have my dog bed forever. Basically, this man got his dream, but also forever. Be careful of what you wish for. It may not be what it seems. We've got people that aren't people and dogs that aren't dogs, but are? Anyway, I know this was a little bit of a shorter episode. I'm very busy this week. I have a birthday party coming up and I'm I'm just, I'm all over the place. And as you can tell, I'm also recovering from being sick, so... 
doing um, my podcast was kind of at the bottom of the list. So I'm getting better at editing. I hope you enjoyed the very squishy tale at the very beginning. I enjoyed editing that. I thought it was very fun. I got some inspiration from other podcasts and um, sound manipulators. So I will see you next week. Good night.